I'm Caleb Brown, host of the Cato Daily Podcast. If you value our work, please consider supporting us by becoming a podcast sponsor. If you become a new sponsor or if you renew your current sponsorship by increasing your gift, the impact of your investment in the Cato Institute will be doubled thanks to one of our generous sponsors who will be matching your gift dollar for dollar. The only way to do it is to visit cato.org slash podcast sponsor and make that donation. Cato accepts no government money. We depend on the generosity of sponsors to help us advance the values of individual liberty, limited government, free markets, and peace. Visit cato.org slash podcast sponsor and support the Cato Daily Podcast and the Cato Institute. This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, December 29th, 2020. I'm Caleb Brown. One of the big ideas floating around Capitol Hill is a massive proposed bailout for student loan debt. Neil McCluskey directs the Cato Institute's Center for Educational Freedom. We discussed why a bailout wouldn't do a thing to lower the cost or improve the benefits of higher education. What were the promises made by Joe Biden in the campaign about student loan bailouts? When he was running for president, Joe Biden didn't talk about bailouts of the magnitude that we've been hearing about um, since the election. So Senator Schumer, along with Senator Warren, has been talking about uh, potentially forgiving $50,000 in debt or up to $50,000 in debt for every person who has student debt in America, or at least federal student debt, and most of the student debt is federal. The federal government dominates student lending. But when he was running, uh, Joe Biden didn't talk about nearly that magnitude. He has talked about forgiving potentially $10,000 of debt for people for each year that they participate in some sort of public service, could be working for government, it could be working for a nonprofit, uh, could be working for uh, a group like City Year. Um, and I think that was up to four or five years you could get that forgiveness. Uh, he's also, I believe, endorsed the idea that in uh, COVID relief, we could have $10,000 of debt relief for every student debtor. Um, just as part as overall COVID relief, but nothing that he talked about during the election or that he himself has even talked about after the election has been nearly the magnitude that has been the center of discussion about student uh, loan forgiveness, which has all come from Senator Schumer uh, and Senator Warren talking about $50,000 debt, $50, in debt forgiveness for potentially every debt. As you mentioned, we're seeing some pressure from uh, some Democrats to uh, push that number higher. Uh, what argument do they make? Well, the primary argument they make is that it would be extraordinary stimulus. Uh, the idea is, well, if we were to forgive this maybe $50,000 of debt for everybody who has federal student debt, suddenly people would spend a whole lot of money, which is particularly important under COVID. Um, so the average person would get who has a debt would get maybe about $250 more in their pocket per month if we were $50,000 were forgiven, um, which itself may have some stimulative effect. At least that is what uh, seems to be promised. 
But the bigger promise is that, well, if you get all this debt burden taken off your shoulders, you're going to make other life decisions. You'll get married. In particular, you'll do something like buy a house. We may not have bought a house when you had other debt. And then that will have a really big stimulative effect on the economy. They also certainly couch it as, well, it's just kind of unfair that people have all this debt. The burden is, is painful and people shouldn't have to carry it. Uh, and education should be a right and lots of things like that. But I think the main way they're trying to sell it to the public is, which I, yeah, I mean, it, it, it may seem unfair that we'd forgive all this debt, but it's going to be a great stimulus for the economy and everybody needs it. And also there are people who are hurting under COVID and they really need that money in their pocket. Those arguments uh, aside, if you were to attempt to alleviate the costs of uh, attending college uh, and grad school, what would your plan be? Well, the interesting thing about this debt forgiveness proposal is it does nothing to make college affordable going forward. Everybody seems to agree that the way that we fund higher education is fundamentally broken. And that what it does is we give money to students and then colleges raise their prices at sort of breakneck speeds, uh, always in excess of ordinary inflation. Um, and so college costs, the price to students continually goes up. All of that uh, debt forgiveness would do in this regard is really encourage people in the future to borrow even more under the expectation that a lot of that debt, maybe all of it will be forgiven. In fact, how could you forgive debt for people before us and then not offer the same thing for people going forward? So what we need to do to fix this problem is reduce federal student aid. But this is where you get into a lot of political problems. Very few politicians want to be the one who say, I want to give people less money for something that sounds really good like education. So we continually increase the amount of money that we give to people or we enable them access to the federal government. Lots of it is grants, but increasingly over the years, it has been loans. Uh, and, and then the answer is, well, government made this horrible problem. It, it fueled this incredible inflation. And by the way, also overconsumption of education where we see a lot more degrees, but a lot less, a uh, lot lower levels of uh, literacy, numeracy uh, of people with those degrees. In other words, we've got degree inflation, more and more degrees that signify less and less learning and knowledge and understanding and human capital. And so government causes this problem of massive inflation of prices, uh, watering down the value of degrees. That leads to more jobs requiring degrees because it's easier to acquire because more people have it. And you know, even if it doesn't signify very much uh, learning or knowledge, and then we have to come up with a solution. And the government solution is, well, let's just forgive all that money that you borrowed. And then the ultimate problem is all that then gets built into a massive government deficit, which becomes part of the debt, because the federal government has already budgeted with the expectation that most of that money that would be forgiven is going to return to the federal government and they can spend it on other things. This is one of the reasons that the stimulus argument is extremely weak because someone else has to send money to Washington that they would have spent on 
buying houses or investing in companies and other things that would stimulate the economy. And so if anything, it'll be a net wash. So it's terrible higher education policy. And it, there's no reason to believe it's going to be useful economic policy. There was a program uh, a few years back that uh, promised that if you were to work for either a nonprofit or uh, government at some level, that you could have your student loans forgiven at the end of 10 years. It's my understanding that a lot of the people who acted uh, with that promise hanging out there have been sorely disappointed. That's right. So the in the background of this forgiveness debate has been the fact that the federal government has numerous programs that enable people to pay back their loans in ways that are not painful and that offer forgiveness. So you're talking about the public service loan forgiveness program, which still exists. Nobody's gotten rid of it. The problem was the public service loan forgiveness program was passed very quickly. And it's actually sort of difficult to make sure that you qualify for those loans. So the reason people in public service loan forgiveness or who are trying to get it have been disappointed as they found out, well, you know, it had to be 10 years straight of, and you had to do a lot of documentation that you were working for some organization that enabled you to qualify and that it was only direct loans. And now all federal loans are direct loans, but for a long time, they were predominantly subsidized loans that you would ostensibly get through private lenders. And so those people didn't qualify. So you run into all sorts of bureaucracy and complications that made public service loan forgiveness something actually difficult to claim, but it's there. And if you do it right, you can get it. The federal government also has income-based repayment plans, income-driven repayment plans, uh, all sorts of repayment plans that if you are having trouble, you don't have enough income now to comfortably pay back your loans, you don't have to. It's based on your income. So in the background of all of this is just ignoring the myriad of programs the federal government already has for these things. But it's all part of the, you know, the political process of it's always, you get a lot of attention when you propose the new program or the forgiveness. People aren't paying attention to what's already there. And once you're a, you're a borrower and you say it was time to pay back, you go to these federal websites and like, well, which of these 27 different repayment plans should I be using? It's all extremely complicated. And then you might say, well, I shouldn't bother now. I shouldn't bother looking into any of these things that already exist because somebody is just going to forgive it. Uh, one of the things that Senator Lamar Alexander, who's kind of like the main person with knowledge of higher ed policy, because he was a governor, he was the president of the University of Tennessee, he was a secretary of education. One of the things he's really he really pushed for, he's about to retire, but was just simplifying the system, getting down to one loan program, one repayment program, one grant program. And, and that would actually do a lot just to make this less complicated. But the complication is a national natural outgrowth of politics and the fact that you get way more credit for creating something new than telling people to use something that already exists or just saying, I'll just forgive the whole thing. and Look how generous I am with other people's money. Uh, oh, well, it's probably also worth noting um, Loan forgiveness is touted as being beneficial to people who are really suffering under COVID-19 or just low income. 
Uh, but the people who are suffering most under COVID-19 and people who are low income are typically people who don't have a college degree. A lot of people with a college degree, they didn't lose a job under COVID-19 because they could telework. The average sort of restaurant worker isn't somebody who has a bachelor's degree and lots of student debt. Also, about two-thirds of student debt is owed by the top half of people in terms of income. And, and much of the debt, about 40% or so of all student debt, is for people who've gone to grad school. If you've got a bachelor's degree, you earn about a million more dollars over your lifetime than somebody with just a high school diploma. If you go to graduate school, on average, you earn about $2.3 million more dollars over your lifetime than somebody with just a high school diploma. And so what we would be doing is actually rewarding rich people. They would disproportionately benefit from massive loan forgiveness, and they are not the people suffering the most under COVID-19. Those are people who generally don't have a college degree. So this is not a proposal that would help, for the most part, the people it's supposed to help. It would be helping people who are much better off. Neil McCluskey directs the Cato Institute's Center for Educational Freedom. In this season of giving, you should consider becoming a Cato podcast sponsor. Just visit cato.org slash podcast sponsor to learn more.